Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, this has been a different kind of week. Last week we were talking politics and primaries and all that sort of thing, and we probably should be talking that tonight because we have five states that are involved in primaries. However, I'm getting sick of the political thing, and I'm a political junkie. I have a show tonight. Uh, that involves a lot of little things that have happened in recent time, some of them in the past week, that have nothing to do with elections and that sort of thing, but yet are interesting to each and every one of us. So let's not waste any time, and let's get to it. And waste is the operative word. Waste is the operative word. We have pissed away. It's the only way I can put it. So much money in Afghanistan. Uh and I'm going to give you two examples. Our, our beloved Congress of the United States allocated $600 million a year or two ago to be put into Afghanistan, okay, as part of the reconstruction of Afghanistan, $600 million of our taxpayer dollars. We're going to help the people, all right? And one of the first things they did was they airlifted nine Italian goats, Nine Italian goats from Italy to Afghanistan, uh, and this was to be part of the Afghan reconstruction. Why? Well, let me say first, these were nine rare blonde goats, nine rare blonde male goats that were going to propagate over there. And the purpose was Afghans are in the cashmere business. They have goats, and they get cashmere wool from the goats. So we were going to boost Afghan's economy, okay, by sending these nine rare blonde male goats over there, which we did. We airlifted them. We built a farm for them to house these nine goats and whatever else developed from that family-wise. Built a laboratory because we wanted to make sure that the wool, the cashmere wool that came from the goats was perfect. And we were going to, the Afghans would be able to certify it to the world as being perfection. We told the Afghan people that we were going to create 350 jobs. My God, 350 jobs. Now, there's no record of the spending available. Where I don't even know how much this whole thing got how much money out of the $600 million was wasted on this? I couldn't find it. Because there's no record of how the money was spent. And you know what they think happened? You better believe it, that the goats were eaten. Because if you've been to that part of the country, uh, I've, I haven't traveled in the Middle East, but I've traveled a lot in the uh, far eastern ends of Europe. Everybody eats goat meats out in the country and on the islands. And the, the thought is that the goats were eaten that we sent over there. Now, here's another thing. $43 million of that $600 million in Afghanistan was used to build one natural gas station. Not a gasoline station as we know it, a natural gas station. Now, $43 million to build one natural gas station. The the numbers tell us that it could have been built for $500,000 instead of $43 million. Waste of money. The other thing that's interesting, though, the Afghanistan people would, of course, fill their cars up with natural gas. One problem, the cars over there are not made or equipped as they are in this country. They're not for natural gas, but they can be converted. The only problem is the cost of conversion 
was more than the average Afghan would make in a year. So, of course, the gas station that cost $43 million did not go over because the people couldn't afford to convert their automobiles. Now, I don't know who the geniuses are who get involved in all this stuff in Washington. Uh, I, I got a feeling there's this military-industrial complex promoting things for their own benefit. But something's wrong, and no one watches this stuff. This is an absolute disgrace. Which now brings me to Tom Brady, which I think is another absolute disgrace. It was announced yesterday that Tom Brady, uh, the great quarterback for the uh, Patriots, New England Patriots, you recall he was uh, the deflation thing. The ball was deflated. Somebody was taking a little bit of air out of the football. He purportedly was throwing. And there's this big investigation, and there's a big hearing before the National Football League Commissioner Roger Goodell, and he was found to be guilty. And he got a four-game suspension, which would have cost him many millions of dollars in pay besides hurting the team. Now, they never determined, there's no determination that he did, in fact, deflate the balls. No one could prove he deflated the balls. That what they got him for was a failure to properly cooperate with the investigation. He had a cell phone, and they believed there was pertinent information on the cell phone, which he destroyed. He says, I destroy a cell phone every time I get a new one. I break up the other one and throw it away. So that's all they had. And they said that was enough to say he would he probably was guilty, and we're going to find him guilty. Now, the big legal issue involved that they went to court on was that something strange here. Goodell, the commissioner, he's acting as prosecutor, judge, and jury. In other words, he brings the charges, he hears the case, and he makes the determination, and he applies the sentence. Now, in this country, in the United States of America, since 1920s, it has been the law that no one person can be judge, jury, and prosecutor. It just ain't fair. You don't even have to be a lawyer to understand this. just doesn't fit right into everything. But they did it here. Now the case went up on appeal to a federal uh, circuit appellate court. Where three judges hear the case. And the judges voted two to one in favor of the National Football League. And they said he must be suspended for four games. And the reason they said it, and they made a mockery out of this, the judges, they said, it's true, this is stupid. Judge, jury, and prosecutor, it's ancient. It's so many years. We know it's wrong. Nobody does it anymore. It's clear-cut law. The only problem is the football players have a collective bargaining agreement with the NFL. And the collective bargaining agreement says that the commissioner or someone designated by him can act as judge, jury, and prosecutor. And when the NFL players, whoever is their boss or leader, signed that agreement, that made it binding on them. They could do what is, what is contrary to the law. To make it even worse, this has been part of the collective bargaining agreement for 40 years. Now, what I want to know is, these players, you know, they got their union, and I'm sure they, they pay a lot of money for their lawyers. I'm knocking the lawyers here now. How the hell could they have missed this? This is, this is simplicity. This is what it is. This thing is simplicity, judge, jury, and prosecutor. No one paid attention to it for 40 years, and now it's nailing a star, okay? Uh, is he going to come out of this all right? I don't know. I'm worried about his reputation. I don't care about the money. He's got enough money because I just think he's a straight guy and wouldn't do something like that. Personal opinion, you may not 
believe me or not agree with me. On the other hand, no one proved anything against him, and we still live in a country where you prove things. Well, he would have lost something like $25 million uh, if he was suspended for four games. When he drew his con- they drew his contract for this coming football season, they are paying him light up front and heavy at the end of the season in anticipation that they might lose the appeal. So that instead of losing $25 million, he's going to lose $250,000. So God bless that. But I still think it's a mark uh, on a great career. And I hope they take an appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States. Whether the court will hear it, I don't know. Uh, but bad deal here uh, for Tom Brady. And I don't know what the hell motivates these owners and Roger Goodell, because he represents the owners in effect. They keep tearing down. In fact, professional sports generally. I know we got another, a lot of people in there playing who are doing bad things. But they're destroying. They're destroying their image. And that isn't right. Okay, let's talk about Venezuela. Uh, Venezuela, I'm surprised. I keep saying this. I've been saying it for four years now on the show. Venezuela, I'm surprised, has not had a rebellion. The people haven't gone to the streets and revolted. Nicolas Maduro became president about four years ago. And he's inept and he's incompetent. I don't know if he's honest or dishonest. Uh, nobody ever reports on his honesty. I just think he's an inept public official. Well, the first thing they ran out of in Venezuela four years ago was toilet paper. We all know that. They ran out of toilet paper. I think it's pretty important to have a supply of toilet paper. And I think it's one roll per person for every 14 days now. They've improved things a little bit. Then they ran out of food. Then they ran out of jobs. Right now, inflation's moving up. It's been projected by November of this year. Inflation will be 740%. Wild. Well, they don't have enough toilet paper, and now the latest thing is they've got an electrical situation. They can't produce enough electrical power. They don't have the money to turn it out. They haven't taken care of the machinery. The machinery's falling apart, so they've got to treat it tenderly and gingerly. And they announced two weeks ago, Maduro announced, we're going to give you three-day weekends. We're not going to work on Friday because we can't use that electricity. Of course, you're not going to get paid uh, for that Friday. And so now they have three-day weekends because the power's down. It's down in their homes, too, on the weekend. Last week, Maduro came out with a beauty. He told the women of his country, he had the audacity, the testicles, if you'll excuse me, to go on TV and say, ladies, ladies, you must help the cause. Do not use your hair dryers. because You should go keep your hair natural, quote-unquote natural. We've got to save electricity. Don't use your hair dryers. I don't know how this man survives. I want to talk about Obama now. I'm very distressed about the next two things I'm going to share with you about Obama. You recall last year that the Congress of the United States invited Netanyahu, Netanyahu, I'm sorry, boy, I'm doing a good job, Netanyahu, uh, the leader of Israel, to speak. They went over the president's head. They were concerned about our pact, our prospective pact with uh, Iran. Uh, the president was upset because it's insulting him, and it's Netanyahu is interfering, meddling in the business affairs of the United States, none of his business. But he came, and he spoke, and Obama didn't even meet with him. Because he said, you know, this guy don't belong here. It's none of his business how we handle this. He's doing it wrong. 
Okay. So, Obama, we know, is spending the next, is in Europe and has been there for 10 days for various meetings. Last week, he met with Prime Minister Cameron of Great Britain. Uh, Great Britain is in the Euro Union, but not with both feet. They're the only country that is in, but not in. They kept their Euro. They did, I'm sorry, they kept their, their pound. They didn't go with the euro because they thought it was going to get screwed up, and they're right. Uh, now, the people of Britain want to get out of the euro union because it's totally screwed up. Merkel's running it th- through Germany. This immigration problem is driving everybody crazy. Merkel wants everybody to come, every country to take in a lot of these people from Syria and the Middle East and also from North Africa, where there's a large uh, black Muslim population coming into Europe. And she says, we got to do this. And her people don't want it. So what does Obama do when he's over there in England with Cameron? He says that the British people, he was on TV with Cameron, the British people should support Cameron and they should stay in the Euro Union. That's his opinion. Now, I don't see this any different than what happened with Netanyahu when he came to speak uh, about Israel and Iran and all that sort of thing. Where You can't have it both ways, Mr. President, Mr. President Obama. You can't have it both ways. You can't be critical of Israel last year in the Congress and this year do the same thing you condemned them for last year. Now, that isn't bad enough, just Great Britain. I mean, he's, he's over there for a few days and he's moving around. He was in Germany in the last 48 hours. He was in Germany in the last 48 hours. And he appears, national TV, makes a speech with Angela Merkel, who is the chancellor of Germany. Her problem is this. She wants to take a million immigrants. Would you believe me? One million into Germany. The people don't want it. Her legislative body don't want it. She's having a hell of a time because if she doesn't take a big number, no one else in Europe is going to. She's the big shot in the Euro Union. What does our president say? Obama says, let them in. Let them in. What she's doing is right. We've got to take care of these people. Why I want to ask you something. Would we agree to take a million immigrants into the United States under these circumstances? No way. Obama's agreed to take 10,000 immigrants in this year, and he's telling Germany you should take in a million. We're not taking more than 10,000, and we don't even want those 10,000 with all due respect, because we know how it screws everything up. This is a problem worldwide. She wants to be the heroine and take in one million letter. But I don't know how he can go over there and say, you should take in a million when we will we'll only take in 10,000 here. doesn't make sense to me what he's doing. Which now brings us to Abraham Lincoln. Good man. Uh, my column, as you know, I write a column every week in Conk Life. My column this week is Lincoln, nomination and election. His nomination and election. Uh, you know, we're in this election season here in the United States, and it seems to be the craziest season we've ever had, or maybe it's because we have one of the craziest candidates ever for president of the United States and Donald Trump. Uh, Whatever the case, there are familiarities and differences between this campaign and the one that went on for the presidency in 1860 when Abraham Lincoln ran. Uh, Now, Lincoln ran, and I'm just going to give you two highlights or two things that will tickle your fancy because you say, oh, my God, he did this. 
uh, let's see, Lincoln ran in 1958 as for the position of the United States Senator from Illinois, he was defeated. He ran on the Republican ticket. The Republican ticket was only four years old at the time. It got started in 1854. He knew he wanted to run for president in 1860. So between 1858 and up to a certain period in 1860, he who lived in Illinois, Abraham Lincoln, made several trips to New York City. And why do you think he went to New York City? He went to meet with the bankers and the business community. He was raising money for the campaign, like Hillary does and everybody else. They did it back then. Abraham Lincoln did it. He went from Illinois to New York to meet with bankers. And along the way, too, he would make some anti-slavery speeches because this is what made, and he was sincere about it, I believe, but this is what made him popular with the Northeastern people, okay? Now, now he's nominated. He's nominated on the Republican ticket to run for president. He ran a crazy campaign, but maybe the right campaign. It had to be the right campaign. He won. He never left Illinois during the campaign. He never went out on the road and made speeches. People used to make speeches politically from the back of railroad trains, the last car. He never did that. No whistle stopping for him. He stayed in Illinois, and he guided the campaign. The, the telegraph was big at that time, and they, he could send messages. Everybody could send messages all over the country very quickly. And he guided the campaign. He had his groups in each state, and he'd tell them what to do, and they had problems. They'd wire him. Never left Illinois. Never made a speech. Now, his other task in staying home, besides guiding the election, was he knew, because this Republican Party was new, they didn't have that organization that a, company, a party that might be 50 years old would have. He had to put the fire out. If there was a problem anywhere during the campaign, in any state, in any county, in any town, in any community, that would affect his election. So he sat there, and every time a division occurred, or there was a fire someplace, from Illinois, he put it out somehow. Because he felt it was very important to keep his party intact. That was the only way he could win. And he did keep it intact, and he did win. And that's just a couple of the stories in my column this week in Conk Life. You have the opportunity to read it. Please do. You'll find it linked to my Key West Lou website. Easy to find. Going to Pakistan. We're talking about Pakistan, Russia, and China. Uh, I want to say this first. We, as a nation, the United States of America, we get upset with somebody. We sanction the hell out of them. It doesn't seem to work, though. Everybody we sanction survives. Sanctions are supposed to destroy a country economically. Let's take Russia. We have buried Putin with sanctions. This guy's brilliant, by the way. Putin is absolutely a genius, in my opinion. I've said it before, and I continue to say it. We bury him in sanctions, and yet he's out there building railroads. Uh, he's out there selling uh, oil, because they have great oil reserves in, in, in Russia. He's making money for his country all over. He has the audacity to go into your, your Ukraine when he's shutting. No one stands up to him. Uh, he's over there in Syria. We were fighting on opposite sides, supporting different factions. Now we're apparently together. I don't know what's going on. But this guy survives, and he's still under sanction. And what about Iran? Oh, my God. For how many years was Iran under sanctions? Worldwide. 
That didn't mean every country, but worldwide. It was more than 10 years we had Iran under sanctions. Did, did Iran survive? Absolutely they survived. You know, we kept saying it's terrible. Oh, they can't do this. They can't do that. You saw pictures of their nation. Their people looked happy. They had new cars on the road. They had buildings going up. They lived like we live. They prospered. Sanctions don't seem to work. We think they work, and it's a good excuse for not having to put troops on the ground. And I can't argue with that. That's a situation that needs a lot of study and discussion. Anyhow, what's happening now? Pakistan, as we all know, is a very wealthy country. Pakistan has a large number of nuclear weapons also. You know, we never hear about Pakistan, but very quietly, they've done extremely well over the last quarter to 50 years, all right, last 25 to 50 years. Pakistan signed an agreement this past week with Russia and China. Pakistan wants two new gasoline pipelines built, okay? They want them built. Pakistan, and what do they do? They're smart. They gave one contract to build the pipeline to Russia, and the other pipeline, miles away, totally different one, they gave to China. They just they embellished their relationship with Russia, Pakistan, and China. Smart people. And Russia's there getting a piece of the action again. All right? And this is going to start in two months, all this sort of stuff. Uh, so that's the story on there. The sanctions bother me. Pakistan's smart. Russia keeps coming out ahead. And China quietly does these things. And nobody says anything. Going to go to Chernobyl. Do you remember Chernobyl? Very sad Chernobyl. Chernobyl was part of the Ukraine. Uh, it was part of Russia. And this day in 19, I think, what was 88, 86, 86, 1986, a nuclear reactor in Chernobyl blew up. Massive radiation. It was the biggest nuclear disaster after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's how bad it was. People killed. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of miles the radiation spread. They're still suffering from it today. Uh, one of the results, and we're 32 years since. This was 1986. That's 14, 16. That's 30 years. We're 30 years since the uh, uh, the explosion, the the, the plant went up. There's still things happening. People get cancer. People in their 50s and 60s are now getting cancer. Doctors are relating it back to the radiation. Nothing they can do. It's bad cancer. Another effect has been babies are being born or were born and still are being born with birth defects. Birth defects and the number of birth defects have increased dramatically in recent years. Let me give you an example. I had a personal experience. It was around 2000 or 2001, and a woman came to see me with her 10-month-old baby girl, cute, blonde, curly hair, bubbly, smiley, and baby only had one arm. <laughs> uh, one arm ended at the elbow. There was nothing after the elbow. Uh, it was rounded. No accident or anything. She was born that way. Well, 15 years before, 14, 15 years before, she and her husband lived within 15 miles of the Chernobyl, the planet Chernobyl, when it, the radiation came out. Uh, what can you do to help me? So I got into this. I didn't know if there was a case. It wasn't the case. I didn't know anything about this. I knew I had to get big-time lawyers out of New York or London or someplace who had handled these cases. 
Uh, and so I went to work on it. And there were a couple of problems, first of all. Why did this happen to the baby? That was the quickest thing I learned. And it happened, why was the baby born this way? Because the radiation, it's the husband's fault, by the way, the father, affects the semen somehow, the semen production, and that creates the defective fetus, which is a defective baby when it's born. No arms, no legs, something like that. It's all different. And it has nothing to do with the mother. Well, I had a major problem because the husband kept saying it's my wife's fault. He couldn't accept it was his fault. That has nothing to do with a lawsuit, but you got to calm the troops here. You can't get them excited and fighting with each other. In any event, I spent close to a year working on this thing. Uh, New York lawyers, big shot lawyers who handle all kinds of crazy cases like this said, no way, no one's ever succeeded. You can't go anywhere. So I went to Paris. I went to London. I went to Rome. Not physically. I'm talking, you know, via the Internet, uh, telephone calls. uh, And I'm talking to the best in these countries. And they all said, you can't do anything. That's just the way it is. No one's been successful. Talk to a law professor in Rome. He spoke good English, fortunately, because I didn't speak proper Italian. got an education from this man. He was very helpful. And it turned out there was nothing I could do because it just couldn't be done legally. Uh, not because it was me. It just wasn't being done. Maybe it's because it was Russia that owned uh, the plant or had something to do with it or what. I don't know. Uh, all I'm sharing with you today on the anniversary today is this was in 86, 14, so it was 30 years ago on this day, the radiation plant blew up. And even today, babies are being born with no arms and no legs. Very bad, sad situation. Want to go? This is a beauty. One of the, out of these police shootings of black people, white people, one good thing has come out. Body cameras. Every officer should wear a body camera. There should be cameras in the police cars also. So there's no question what happened. Okay, a picture is worth a thousand words. A video is a picture. It's worth a thousand words. And we've seen how if someone lies or misrepresents, the truth comes out with the video uh, that was taken. Well, there's an Illinois police department that will no longer use body cameras, okay, because it's too much work. The accountability, as I will explain to you, is too much work. It's the Manaka, M-I-N-O-O-K-A, Police Department, Manaka Police Department in Illinois. They say no more body cameras because it's costing us money, time, effort, and everything else. You know, if we have a domestic relations call and 10 policemen show up, they got 10 body cameras. Then when they're off duty, we got to pay them to go back to work and, you know, take the tape, properly put it in wherever it's got to go so it's It's usable as evidence. There's a trace of the evidence. They got to, you know, say this was taken at this date, on this time, et cetera, et cetera. Then they got to write up a report. We don't have time to do this. You know, they consider it, and I quote, a bit of a burden, a bit of a burden. They don't have enough administrative staff, so they're not going to do it anymore. And that's their right. They're not going to do it anymore. I think, and I think this is a crock, because they take your blood, or they take your saliva uh, on a DUI. they got to take that in. The policeman's got to write all these reports. That stuff's got to be sent to a lab. It costs money. These rape kits that they're now going to follow up with cost money. Uh, I just think 
this particular police department is doing what every police department wants to do. They just don't want to have body cameras. Why should they carry the instrument that could get them in trouble? Makes sense. Uh, Stay with Saudi Arabia for a moment. Those 28 pages from the 9-11 Commission, uh, 28 pages of the report from so many years ago have never been released because it talks about Saudi Arabia and we think, we believe Saudi Arabia's direct connection with 9-11 financing things and so forth. Uh, make a long story short, the president has said, or the White House has said on his behalf, that very soon he's going to make a de- decision on releasing the 28 pages, and it probably, uh, he will. But now what I'm seeing, what I'm reading is it's going to be redacted. You know, they're going to cut portions out. There's only 28 pages. They're going to cut large portions out. So what we're really looking for, we're not going to see if Saudi Arabia financed this thing. And I think that's wrong. I think after all this time, the people of our country, the families who lost loved ones, are entitled to know exactly who was involved in this thing. That is the show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed. I've tried to share some things with you. I thought eye-openers to a certain degree. Uh, I enjoyed putting them together. I love you people for coming every week and listening. I know you uh, listen to it, most of you, uh, on the archive version on Black Talk Radio, YouTube, on my Key West Lou website where it's linked. And I'm glad you do it. I'm glad you enjoy it. Remember, I wrote a book, The World Upside Down. If you like the show, you like the book, go to Amazon.com and buy it. It costs next to nothing. Thank you again for joining me. I look forward to being with you again next week.